We've been looking at the book of Philippians and trying to understand the forward motion that God has for the church. And uh, we've already looked about proclaiming the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Um, we looked at uh, cultivating worship. And if we are going to desire His presence and make His presence known, then we need to be cultivating worship in our own individual lives. And that is putting Jesus Christ in the rightful place. That's focusing on Him, magnifying the Lord, allowing the Lord to be magnified in the eyes of others. And this morning, I really want us to look at creating community. And creating community not only within our own fellowship here, but creating community outside of these walls. Um, because we always need to be careful that we should never contain the message of Jesus Christ just within these four walls, or even six or eight walls, however many walls have been built upon this church. But we need to be proclaiming that message wherever we live, where we work, where we play, um, where we encounter other individuals. We need to be creating that community wherever we are. So that's what we're going to look at here uh, this morning. And uh, so what exactly is community? I mean, if we were to give it a definition, what is community? Anybody have some thoughts? What is community? Maybe from a business standpoint, from maybe something that you've thought about. What is community? Anybody have some thoughts? People have a common focus. Absolutely. Yes. What is community? Same focus. Same area. Okay. All right. Well, let me give you a definition of what the world says community is, and then we'll look at a biblical definition of that. Okay. Um, the world's definition is a group of people with common goals, causes, or interests who collaborate together, sharing life. That's community. Now, when we look at the pages of Scripture, we're going to see what the Philippian church here, the church at Philippi, had as their common goals, their interests, and how they shared life together. So let's turn over to uh, Philippians. And we're just going to highlight a few verses here, uh, first of all, about community and what it means to create that community within our own individual church here. Okay, So, uh, first of all, they had a common bond. Look at uh, verse number 1 in chapter number 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons. So they had a common bond. It was to all the saints in Christ Jesus. I would hope that everybody here this morning, um, we have a common bond together, and that is that we have faith in Jesus Christ. If you do not know the Lord as your Savior, you have not come into a personal relationship with Him, uh, it's a simple matter of turning to Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, and receiving the Lord as your Savior. And so that is the common bond that we share here this morning. If you know Jesus, I know Jesus, we have a common bond. Jesus Christ is what we are here for this morning. That is our common bond. Well, these Philippian believers here, they had a common bond, and it was Jesus Christ. Look at uh, verse number 5, chapter 1. They had common interests. It says that they had a partnership in the gospel. That was their interest, the gospel. They had a partnership with that. Look at verse number 6 in uh, chapter number 1. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. 
So they had a common interest that Christ was at work in their lives. Look at uh, verse number 7, chapter number 1. You are partakers with me of grace. So this was a common interest that they shared with. They shared in grace. They shared in the partnership of the gospel. They had common bonds and common interests together. Look at uh, verse number 10. They had common goals. The Bible tells us that they may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. That was a goal that they had. That was a motivation that they had to be pure and blameless uh, in the eyes of others. In verse number 11, to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Well, that's a great goal to, to be striving towards. Uh, look at verse number 27, chapter number 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So they had common bond, they had common interests, they had common goals in their life. And not only that, but they shared life together. I mean, that's what the church was. They shared their lives with one another. Look at the Bible here, chapter 1, verse number 19. Paul talks about the sharing his burdens and blessings with this church. He says, I know through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. In chapter 1, verses 29 through 30, he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ... You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. In chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, Paul gives us two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, being sent to the church at Philippi. And he says of Timothy, this is what he says of Timothy. He tells us in verse 20, chapter 2, that he will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He says of Epaphroditus, he says, who had brought a gift to Paul in uh, chapter 2, verses 25 through 30. He tells us of Epaphroditus, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So these men that Paul talked about, Timothy and Epaphroditus, they shared life together. They went to the church. They ministered at the church. And so we as believers, we have a common bond. That's Jesus Christ. We have common goals and interests. That's to be moving forward for the Lord. And we need to be sharing our life together. I think in American culture, to say, with churches, I believe that we have gotten to this standpoint that you do your thing, I'll do my thing, we come together on Sunday, we worship, we separate, and that's it. And then we'll just wait another week and then we'll come back again. That should not be the case. We should be sharing life 
together. The church should be a safe place where we share our burdens, we share our difficulties, we share our life together. We pray for one another. We intercede on others' behalfs. We are there to help them, encourage them, strengthen them, serving one another. So if we are going to desire His presence and make His presence known, then we need to be creating community, not only within here, but outside of these walls as well. So let's take a look here at a few things about creating community. And we're going to start here in chapter uh, number 2. And we're going to look at a few verses here. So let's take a look at these, uh, the text here we're going to look at. We're going to read uh, chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse number 12. Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence... But much more, in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation." among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. And then he says, even if I am to be poured out, beginning in verse number 17, to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for this time that we get to look into your word. I pray that you speak to us. Help us to see what you're doing in the midst of us. Um, help us to be aware, spiritually aware, of opportunities that we can engage in other people's lives and, and to help and encourage them. Lord, I pray that everything that we do will always point back to your son, Jesus. Please bless this time of the reading of the word and the study of your word, meditation of it, and help us to be changed and transformed into your image. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. So here, Paul is talking about a few things about creating community. Now, it's very important, this very first word in this text, therefore... That word is so important. What is it there for? Paul says, everything that I have just told you about worshiping Christ, about putting him on the rightful throne in our hearts, he says, everything that precedes all of this, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. Now I think some care needs to be taken to this verse here because we as believers in Christ, we do not work for our salvation. There is nothing that I can ever do that any of us could ever do to merit the favor of God. God's love towards us was a selfless love. It was a giving love. And he gave not because of something that we have done, because we are sinners. He gave us Jesus. He gave us eternal life, 
Not based upon what we could be, not based upon what we have done in the past or what we could ever do in the future, but solely based upon who he is, that he loves us and that he cares for us and he gave willingly. So this morning, I am not on my way to heaven because I teach or preach out of the Bible because I'm a good person or even the fact that I've given money in an offering plate or I helped somebody out in the past. None of that has any merit whatsoever. My merit is solely based upon Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. So when the Bible here talks about working out your own salvation, Paul is not advocating that we work to gain favor with God. Because we can't do that. It's an impossibility. God loves us just the way that we are. So what is he talking about? Working out your own salvation. Well, so a few words there give us a good idea what this is. Notice what he says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. God is in us working inside and I love this because the idea is, as believers in Jesus, as we grow in our Christian faith, God is at work, and He's working inside. And as He is working inside, He is working things out in our lives. For example, our attitude. God is at work, and He's saying, Boy, man, you have a rotten, sorry attitude, and he is just working on our hearts. And boy, he's just, he's just chipping away, and he's pounding away, and we're going, oh, man, I know. Man, I'm, I am such a miserable person. Oh, God, I need your help. I need Jesus' help to work out the salvation that you are working in my life. And God is doing that. Now, we have to be careful. Because sometimes we think, well, we even talked about this in Sunday school this morning, about what is a worldly person and what is a spiritual person. And we gave some definitions about that. Okay? Paul actually deals with this. Listen to what Paul says. Because sometimes we think that it's all about the external, the outward appearance. And that, that points to somebody that, boy, God is really at work at them. Boy, look at them. Man, they got a nice haircut. And boy, they look, they look presentable. And they, boy, God's really at work in them. Well, I'm sorry. That person could be the most arrogant, self-centered full of self-righteous person that could ever be. Just think about the Pharisees. I mean, and Jesus condemned them, right? He called them whited tombs, whitewashed tombs, okay? So Paul actually deals with that. Listen to what he says about this. Paul kind of gives this idea. In chapter number three, he says, though I myself, in beginning of verse number four, he says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul says, if you want to show up on the playground of life and you want to start comparing apples to apples and saying, yeah, look how great I'm following Jesus. And look how great I'm following. Paul says, I'm going to win every single time because I have more. Listen to what he says about this. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. He says, I win. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted 
as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And I love this. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own, but he says, that which comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul says, look, this working out of our salvation, it's not to go and parade around and say, look how spiritual I am. Boy, God is, is at work in my life. But it's the idea that God is at work, and as He is at work, He is working things out in our life, not to promote ourselves, but to promote Jesus Christ. And so Paul deals with this. If we are going to create community that it involves working out our salvation. Now I like this. He says work your, out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now is that the idea that when the Bible talks about fear and trembling that we're like, oh I'm so afraid of God. Is that what we're talking about? No. God is not the highway patrolman with radar gun, just waiting to zap you, you know, when you're doing 90 and a 60, okay? He doesn't do that, all right? Nobody goes 90 and a 60, right? No, okay, good. All right. <laughs> Jonas, okay. <laughs> um, God is not the evil taskmaster just waiting for you to mess up, okay? The idea is fear and trembling is that we stand in awe of what God is doing in our lives. And that just backs up. Therefore, remember what Paul says? He says that every knee would bow before him, that every tongue would proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's standing in awe of what the Lord is doing in our lives. Now this is where I really want to incorporate the testimonies, okay? What is God doing in your life? That's how we create community. We share what God has been working inside us and how he's using that to proclaim his greatness wherever we are at. So let's just take some time here. Let's give some testimonies of how God is at work in your life. What has God been doing? What has God been doing in your life? Go ahead, Teresa. Teaching me to depend solely on him not on myself, <laughs> not on trying to fix things in my family, but to depend solely on him. Because truth be known, <laughs> no, we can't fix anything. <laughs> and uh, there are some members in my family, their lives are a total mess right now. And I'd love to be able to fix them, but I can't. So all I can do is depend on Christ and pray for them. Absolutely. Anybody else? How has God been working in your life? What has he been working in? Joellen. He's showing me to see people with his eyes and not my own 
worldly eyes and judging in appearance or saying, oh, that person, no, oh, they're worthless, this or that. But to see them through Christ's eyes and to love them as they are because everybody needs Jesus and he is the only answer. That's right. Very good. Anybody else? How God is working? Yes. Right over here, Don. He's just been drawing me closer to him in these last probably six months. Things have been going so well and, and it's like we know that we just start thinking everything's going to be okay. But when you really start reading his word and getting him in your heart deeper and deeper, you know he's in control and all you got is his. Very good. Anybody else? How has God been at work in your life? What has God been doing? There, Sonana. I can't begin to tell you how God's been working in my life. There's some things you know that a grandma or a great-grandma can't fix. And when you can't fix them, you need to turn it all over to the Lord. At least that's what I've done. I don't try to give information. I usually tell my family members, I'll pray for you. And I turn some things over to the Lord entirely. And you'd be surprised how things get worked out hmm. by just trusting the Lord and not being hurt over things that, that don't amount to anything anyhow. And uh, I, just, I just bubble over right now in my life at how things have changed for me in the last few weeks. And I can't ever thank the Lord enough. All right, very good. Anybody else? How's God been at work in your life? Yep, Katie, right up here. He's been taking all the fear out of my life and helping me trust in him more. Very good. Anybody else? How's God been at work? Yes, Etta. I have become uh, more patient, especially with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> There, there was a time whenever I was doing something and he would ask me to do something else, I would get really irritated. And the Lord has just moved in that, and I have just noticed in myself, because it's not something I have done, that I can do what he wants me to do without getting upset. And I know that's the Lord, because I could never do that on my own. Thank you. So we've been looking here, creating community. Now, of all the things that we talked about, people mentioned, did anybody else in this room say, yeah, I've been there or I've struggled with that? How many of you? Raise your hands. Yeah. Okay. Now, this is how this works. Okay. When we share our lives together, we create community. We talk about how the Lord has been working in our lives. We're sharing with those individuals saying, I've been there. I know exactly what you're talking about. I, I, I was there. And we are there to shoulder. We are there to help the burden, the load of that other believer in Christ. That's what Paul was doing. Remember where he was? In prison. And he's writing to this Philippian church and he's saying, look, the things that have happened to me are for your good. 
He says people are becoming more bold to speak about Jesus. People are talking about Christ. People are preaching for the defense of the gospel because I'm in prison. And he says, I'm counting it all joy for that. And so Paul was there to help shoulder, to help bear the load, bear the weight of life. And that's what we do here when we create community. We're sharing each other's lives. Now, mind you, this is not a place where we air our dirty laundry. Okay, remember the, uh, the old song, uh, Dirty Laundry? Right? You talk, everyone wants to hear everybody's dirty laundry. That's not what this is. Okay? This is, we are here with common bond, with common goals, with common interest, sharing life together so that we can help each other through life. It's being there as an accountability partner. It's being there to help pray with that individual and help them and genuinely pray, not just say, I'll pray for you, and then you completely forget about even praying for them or even forget about spending time in prayer and, and, and interceding on their behalf. When we create community, we are there to help each other and to share each other's burdens and to talk about what God is doing in our lives, proclaiming that Jesus is Lord, proclaiming what Christ is at work in our lives. So it involves working out our own salvation. Let's take a look at a second thing about creating community. Let's look at what the Bible says here in verses 12 through 16. Creating community involves connecting with the unsaved. Listen to verses 12 through 16. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So it involves connecting with the unsaved. Now, I will tell you, here at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship, I am really looking forward to some things that we're going to be planning. Because I believe that as a church, we need to be very um, aggressive in bringing people into the kingdom of God. Because that's what Jesus was about. He, the Bible tells us that he set his face as a flint <laughs> towards the cross. I mean, he, he was determined that he was going to go to the cross. He was going to bleed and die for people. He was going to accomplish God's work. And so we as a church, we need to be aggressively connecting with the unchurched. We need to be creating community. Now, how are we going to do that? Look at this text. This is very important. He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why is that important? Why does God list grumbling and disputing as primary things that will, I guess, take our focus off creating community or take our focus off reaching the lost? Remember back with me in Old Testament times? Remember the children of Israel were in the wilderness and they were heading to the promised land. They send some spies out there. You know the song, uh, 12 men went to spy in Canaan. 10 were bad, two were good, right? Okay. Well, the two came back with a good report. They said, hey, we can go in, no problem. 10 of them came back with an evil report. They said, boy, 
there's giants living there. We're like little grasshoppers. Man, we're not going to be able to do this. There's no way, no way whatsoever. God says, okay, you're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. So that they're in the wilderness, God provided them food. He gave them water to drink. And also, he caused their shoes not even to wear out. Wouldn't that be cool to own a pair of shoes for 40 years? Sometimes I like to buy two pairs of shoes of the same kind because I like them so much that I can have that same pair again. <laughs> so here they are wandering in the wilderness and they're getting food and what do they do? Grumble and complain and murmur. And God is so fed up with it. He's like, you know what? You guys are testing my patience. You're testing what I'm trying to do in your lives. And Paul here says, do all things without grumblings or disputings. When we are, when we murmur and we complain about life, okay, what we are doing is we are murmuring and complaining about God. Because we're saying, God, you are not fair to me. God, you do not provide for my needs. God, you do not care for me. And that murmuring and that disputing comes out to an unsaved world. And you know what they look at? They say, that person is not satisfied with God. So if we are going to create community, we need to make sure that we are not murmuring or disputing about life. Remember Paul's situation? He's in prison. Was he going, woe is me. My life is so miserable. Look at these chains. He's saying, I rejoice that I'm in prison. Man, this is great. And the world looks at that and says, are you crazy? He says, all of this is happening because of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And they're going, this guy has something that he is moving towards. This guy has, has, a, has a tenacity about his life that he, that he loves Christ. And he's rejoicing that he's in prison. Man, there's nothing we can do to this guy to, to shut him up about Jesus. And so when we murmur and complain, it takes the focus off of Christ and it puts the focus on how miserable our lives with because we're dissatisfied with God. And so we need to make sure that we are blameless and innocent without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, if Paul was writing this back then, that the generation was twisted and crooked and perverse, think about today now. What we say about God, how we talk about life, has an impact about how the world views who we worship. And he says, you shine as lights in the world. Jesus said that you are a city on a hill. He says, men that have a light, he says, you don't go in and you cover it with a covering. He says, you put it on a candlestick and you raise it up. You allow that light to, to, to shine in the darkness. And that's what we are supposed to be doing. 
So when we create community as we're connecting with the world, you live, does anybody live next door to a crooked, twisted generation? Okay, yeah, absolutely, right? All of us do. <laughs> so we live next to people that are crooked and twisted. They don't know Christ. They do not have the light of Christ living inside of them. And you may talk to them, you may see them. Instead of grumbling and complaining about life, we need to be exalting and lifting Christ up because we will shine as lights in front of them. So it is so important that we do that. And I like what Paul says here. He says, so that in the day of Christ, they may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Basically what he's talking about, he's saying, look, he says, I hope you guys live this way because I don't want to get to heaven and go, man, I spent all this time over there at the Philippian church and all they did was murmur and complain and I just wasted all my time. He says, I want to know that I ran and I ran well and that I finished and I finished well. And so we as believers, we need to be creating community with other believers. So here's that crooked and twisted generation that's coming up to us and they're giving us their life stories. You know what we do? Instead of saying, yeah, I can't believe that guy treated you that way. What a weirdo. No. You might share a story of life of something that happened to you and how God worked in your life and how God used that for good in your life. And instead of them going, boy, they really don't complain about life. They're, they just talk about the Lord and they, they talk about Christ. We are creating community with wherever we live. We are welcoming the unchurched into our area. We're welcoming them, them here. Now see, it's one thing for us to have a building and to have a sign out front, but that does not mean that they're just gonna become walking in, flooding in here. We have to go out and bring them into the kingdom of God. But I guarantee you, they are not gonna to wanna to come if all we're doing is complaining and murmuring about life. We need to be exalting Jesus Christ, bowing our knees before him, and proclaiming with our tongue that Jesus is Lord. So creating community involves connecting with the unsaved, not murmuring, not complaining about those types of things. Let's look at the third thing, and I love this part here. Creating community involves Christly love. Listen to what Paul says in verse 17 through 18. He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, Upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. When I think about creating community, I think about we need to be giving ourselves to the needs of others. Paul uses this metaphor and he says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, okay, Paul says, even if my life was to be poured out, in other words, if I'm to give my entire life for you, for your faith, he says, I'm going to rejoice in that. And in fact, Paul, in fact, did give his life for the gospel. He was beheaded. And so this metaphor actually became a reality in Paul's life. And I think that's probably the reason why he said, I'm going to be sending Timothy to you, because I think he knew that his time was, was near end. 
And so Paul tells us, he says, I'm going to pour out myself towards you for your faith. All of us in here have needs. All of us do. And so for us to create community with one another, it's me recognizing the needs of another individual and giving myself towards that individual. Paul says, I am willing to be gladly to be spent and be spent for you. Being used as a doormat for others. To be a slave, to be walked upon for the needs of others. Because Christ gave us that example. Christ gave when people spat in his face. Christ gave when they mocked him. Christ gave when they scourged him. Christ gave when that Roman soldier went and rammed a spear up into his side. Christ gave, and he gave willingly for the needs of us. A twisted and crooked generation. And so we are to be giving Christly love for the needs of others. So there's two things about this Christly love. Number one, it's a service of God. It's used as a service for God. Remember what Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 12? He says, um, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Poured out, offering, sacrificially your faith. We must understand that, that as believers in Jesus, we are to be giving ourselves for the benefit of others being poured out for others' needs. And that is a sacrificial offering to God. Secondly, it brings joy. Look what Paul says. He says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. This Christly love that Paul talks about, it brings interest in other people's lives. We take an interest in their lives of how God is working in their life and what God is doing and, and how the Lord is, is moving in their life. And we take great joy in that. And we lose ourselves in the love of God. We lose, we lose our ego. We lose who we are. And it's just about the Lord and about His love and how we can share that and show that to others. And it's no longer about our own interest. It's about the Lord's interest. It's about the interest of others and helping them. You know, this love cannot be replicated or reproduced. It's a supernatural love that only comes from inside, remember what Paul said? Working out your own salvation. God is at work in you, and he's working this out in the midst of others. So if we're going to move forward, if we're going to desire his presence and make his presence known, then we need to learn how to create community in here and out there as well. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for this time of opportunity that we got to look into your word. And Lord, I understand that we as Christians, and, and just even Christians in America, I mean, it just seems like there's just so many things that we want to do, so many things that we want to get involved with, um, things that um, may or may not be healthy for us, uh, you know, our relationship with you. But God, you have given us a straightforward pattern from your word, and that is to be working out our salvation, 
sharing the love of Christ with others and bringing people into the kingdom of God. That's our purpose, Lord. Help us never to lose sight of that. Help us not be concerned about trying to have an awesome program or, you know, all kinds of things. God, we, we want to be concerned with what you're concerned about, and that is lost people. <laughs> Help us to create that community and take an interest in other people's lives and to bring them into the kingdom of God. We thank you so much for your work in us. Help us to share that with others. And we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.